Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13. And uh, let's have a quick word of prayer before we start out. Lord, just good to be here today and just thank you for the time. And we pray, Lord, as always, your spirit would teach, we would listen. And Lord, you'd go before all things in all ways. And we just stop and say thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Continue our study here through the book of Proverbs. And once again, one of the ongoing themes here in the book of Proverbs is this idea of wisdom. And we're going to talk about that again today is gaining wisdom and wisdom to make right godly choices, wisdom to make good choices before the bad situations even pop up. And you see this idea here of wisdom and seeking counsel and seeking guidance here, an ongoing theme here through this book. And that's exactly what this first verse starts out in Proverbs 13. It says, A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now, we've gone over a verse very similar to this. Just last week, verse 1 of chapter 12, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And so the Bible is basically saying here is if we choose not to listen to godly counsel and godly wisdom, uh, verse 1, we're stupid. And number 2, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, we're a scoffer. We're not listening to rebuke. There's a lot of wisdom in listening to good, godly instruction. When we choose to reject that, we're really making a pretty big mistake. And we hear this all the time. I, I wrote this down a little bit so I wouldn't forget these because I hear this a lot. A lot of times people come up to me and say, I know what the Lord wants me to do, but you're not telling me anything new. You're not telling me anything I don't already know. Okay, then if you already know what you're supposed to be doing, if you already know what God has laid on your heart, then you need to go do it. Because to be quite honest, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, to not take the wisdom and guidance that God has given you is really quite stupid. That's what it's saying there. In fact, it says in the book of James, anyone who knows ought what he to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if you know what God wants you to do, and if you know what the Lord has laid on your heart to do, then you need to do it. It's that simple. And to reject that wisdom and counsel is not smart in any way whatsoever. So wisdom is seeking that counsel. Now, verse 1 there also talks about a wise son heeds his father's instructions. You know, I don't know what type of relationship you guys had with your, you know, dads or fathers growing up. You know, some people had good relationships, some people had not good relationships. You know, um, there's wisdom there in, in understanding the instruction there of your father. And, you know, I knew, obviously, I grew up um, very thankful to grow up in a godly home. And, you know, my dad comes out here to church. And I remember there's two, two bits of instruction that, got, that uh, dad gave me that really stuck out in my head. The first one was the day of my wedding. Um, got married young. We were 19. And I remember we were on the way to the wedding. And uh, him and I were, we prayed in the car for everything. And I asked him, I said, so do you got any advice? And he says, you've got to remember when it's good, it's not always going to be good. You've got to remember when it's bad, it's not always going to be bad. And I thought, there's a lot of wisdom in that, a lot of wisdom in that. The other one, uh, wisdom that he gave me one time, was uh, don't turn too tight with the tractor because you'll rub the tire against the PTO shaft. Um, <laughs> I did that. Uh, he, he gave that wisdom a little louder. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember I cried when I, when I, when I heard that wisdom. The, the point is, sometimes wisdom is given calmly in love. Sometimes wisdom is given a little louder. Uh, it's still wisdom. And, uh, you know, sometimes out here at church you have those conversations with people where you give them wisdom calmly and in love and I'm encouraging. There's other times where you're straightforward. You say, man, that's dumb. That's just dumb. If you continue down that path, that's just dumb. There's wisdom in that. Now, you, you, 
once again, I don't know the relationship with your parents or with your father there. And like I said, some may be good, some may not. But as parents, though, continuing this theme, if you look in verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. See, part of the responsibility we're given here as parents is that prompt discipline of our kids and making sure they understand right from wrong. I mentioned to you before that we have at our house a list of rules, and they're on our refrigerator, and some of them are just very simple. Listen to mommy and daddy. Don't hit your brothers. You know, things like that. So when one of the boys breaks a rule, you can take them to that list of rules on the fridge, and you can show them that list, and you can say, hey, you broke this rule, and we have a corresponding verse that goes along with each one of those rules. Well, at the top of the sheet, we have verses for Dawn and I to encourage us, because sometimes it's difficult to discipline. Let's just be honest. This can be difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to discipline because we're lazy. I remember when Richard and Betsy teach the parenting class out here at church, one of the things they said has always stuck with me. Betsy said one time, you can't parent from the couch. And how many times do you see people do that? They're sitting there. They see the kid doing something wrong. You need to stop that. I'm not telling you again. You need to stop that. I'm going to count to three. You better be done. Get up off the couch and go make them. Stop it. You can't parent from the couch. That's one thing that always stuck with me. But the other thing here that, uh, you know, learning from this parenting class was, like I said, the rules and the authority. And yes, kids are cute. Yes, your kids are fun. But your kids also need discipline. We had a situation just last night where we put the, the boys to bed and the older two just kept coming out. Just kept coming out. And, and you know... Um, and they just kept coming on you, and you would say, okay, no, guys, come on, no, no, nothing come out, you need to go back. And there was always a reason, oh, we needed to get a tissue, we needed to get this, we need to get that. And then it started becoming these questions. And I'll just share this with you real quick. Dawn's been teaching the boys about strangers and staying away from strangers. And so she's been using these examples of, you know, if a stranger comes and you're outside playing, come into the house, you know, come get mom or dad. And even if they promise you something, if they offer you ice cream, don't talk to them, whatever. And so come into the house. And so Elias is talking to me about this last night. He goes, so if a stranger comes and he offers us ice cream, we're supposed to say no and come into the house and get mom and dad. And I said, that's right. He goes, so you're going to go talk to the stranger. And I said, yes. He goes, what happens if the stranger comes and offers you ice cream? <laughs> and then he goes, what, what happens if the stranger offers you ice cream and then he captures you and puts you in his car? What are we supposed to do then? This poor kid. So this is the conversation that, that we're having here. And so you you're constantly keep telling them, you need to go back to bed, you need to go back to bed. And the problem is, it's cute. It's funny. And that's what happens. And I, I, I remember one time distinctly being over at this person's house, and we're doing discipleship with them, Dawn and I was, and their kid came out and, and got into their candy section. And I remember her telling her son, don't, be done. And he just kept getting stuff out. I said, be done. Get just you know, kept getting stuff, getting stuff. And it was tough for me. I didn't have kids at the time, so I felt like, okay, who am I to try to tell somebody how to discipline? So I finally said, you know, but if you're telling him no, and as he just keeps eating fruit roll-ups, as you're telling him no, you need to enforce it. She goes, I just can't stop it. He's so cute. And I'm thinking, it's not going to be cute when he's 18. And that's the thing is, and if you love your kids, as it says here in verse 24, those who spare the rod of discipline, this is out of the New Living Translation, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Boy, and that's a point that's been lost in life today, hasn't it? Um, at our house, we use uh, spanking sticks, which are wooden spoons. That's what we use. Walmart sells them five for five bucks. We have <laughs> wooden spoons 
in every window sole, we have wooden spoons. In our van, we have wooden spoons all over the place. Uh, Kenan was acting up just recently, and he was in the living room just throwing a fit. And I was in the bedroom, Dawn was in the kitchen, and we basically flanked him. And we each had a spoon in our hand. And Elias says, wow, you both have spanking sticks. Um, the point, though, is, and I'm not saying we got it all figured out, because here's a point that has to be made. My kids have sin nature. My kids have sin nature just like your kids have sin nature. They're going to be attacked by the world. They're going to be attacked by the enemy. They're going to be attacked by their own flesh. They have three strikes against them. I'm even going to go one step further. They have a fourth strike against them, and that fourth strike is their pastor's kids. Because you guys, for some crazy reason, think they're going to be perfect. And that's the thing. is, I know we don't, but we do. I, you know, I was joking at the first service that I, Gabriel did not announce my kids' births. They did not. They are kids with sin nature, and they have that. And the thing is, we have to discipline that. You have to. I'm not saying I have it all figured out. You know, every time they offer the parenting class out here at uh, church, I, I keep taking it. I've taken it twice, and I'm going to keep taking it. And, and part of the example is for that, and I, and I hate to elevate a family because then as soon as you elevate them, you're, you're asking for problems, but I will elevate a family out here. I remember the first time I went through the parenting class, and I remember uh, Tony and Anita's sexuality were taking it. And their kids are very well disciplined, and their kids are much older. And I rem as everybody looks at Tony and Anita, I'm not even making eye contact with them. But I remember Anita saying that she was going to take it again to keep learning and to keep, and I thought, that's what I want to do too. So the next time Richard and Betsy go for the parenting class, I'm going to go through it for the third time. Because I still don't have it all figured out yet. And, you know, we're trying to raise them in a godly manner. You're trying to raise them in a godly way. And verse 24 hits me there. You need to make sure that we're trying to discipline them properly. And like I said, we don't have it all figured out, but we're trying. So there is a responsibility as a father in verse 1 to verse 24, take care of the kids. You teach them discipline and maturity. And part of that maturity that is learned, and if you look here through the rest of chapter 13, there's four parts of maturity we're going to talk about. Excuse me. And many of these are ones that we've talked about before, but God keeps building on the points. Uh, the first one of maturity is you found in verse 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. What's maturity? Maturity is being able to control your tongue. How many times have we talked about this? A wise man or woman in God knows what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say it. Sometimes maturity and wisdom is not saying anything at all. So a wise person, verse 4, knows how to guard their tongue. Excuse me, verse 3, they know how to guard their mouth there. That's wisdom and maturity. The next one, verse 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Part of maturity is having a good work ethic. That's maturity. Because why? As Colossians 3 tells us, you work as if working for the Lord, not for man. And you've heard us say this out here before too. A lot of you are going to go into work today, go into work tomorrow. You're going to earn a paycheck. The reason you earn a paycheck is to pay your bills so that way you can focus on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Some of you work in a workforce, a workplace, where you're not respected, you're not appreciated in any way whatsoever. But you know what? You work for the Lord, not for man. Good work ethic. Verse 4 is what comes out of that. And, and it builds on this a little bit. Look at verse 23. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. And for lack of justice there is waste. And take a look at verse 25. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Now I want to be careful when I talk about these verses because I want to make a distinction. 
There is, to me, a huge distinction between somebody who desires to work, wants to work, is actively looking for a job, and they can't find one. That's a situation that's beyond a lot of our control, and I want to make sure that distinction is being made. Because what these verses are talking about here in verse uh, 25 and 23 is somebody who is not trying. There's a big difference there. Big difference. And, and I know a lot of godly people out here at church that have been looking for a job for a long time actively looking, searching, trying, praying. But what you have here in verse 23 and 25 is the person that's not even attempting. Rich and I dealt with a situation here recently. There was a guy that kept popping out here, not involved with the church but from the community, and he just kept wanting and wanting to take. His story sounded good. But after a while, his story sounded sounding a little fishy. In fact, there was a time where Rich and I were both out there talking to him, and we just told him straight up, I said, this, this sounds fishy, man. This sounds fishy. And we said, we can't help you anymore. And even though we told him we can't help him anymore, he still kept calling. He asked for a car. He asked for a lot of things. And I kept thinking, verse 23, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. Him and I were about the same age, same situation in life, but for some reason there wasn't any, any food in his ground. Maybe because he wasn't working the ground. Now, once again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm stating facts. We saw this man. We saw the situation that was going on. He was not making good choices when it came to things. And you know, and I also look at verse 25. The stomach of the wicked shall be in want. You know, there's an, a, another individual we know out here, once again, that doesn't come out here, but from the community that likes to work the system. And this person always has a story. Always has a story. And this person was, was, was so much so trying to work the system out here that we ended up having to tell Pastor Renee, Pastor Rich, Rose, myself, we got a hold of everybody and said, if this person contacts you, you have to tell them no. They just keep working the system, working the system. And we've known this person for years. And there's just no work ethic in this person. And that's what these verses are talking about here in verses 23 and 25. No, we're not talking about the person looking. We're not trying to talk about the person that's trying to find, praying, seeking, attempting. You know, work ethic is not there. And maturity says there is a work ethic. Maturity says I'm willing to work hard and do the best I can. What else does maturity have? Verse 5, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. You know, we've talked before about the idea of lying, telling the truth. This also carries a deeper meaning, and this deeper meaning is the idea of truth, both inward and outward. David wrote in Psalm 51 that God desires truth in the inward parts, not just the outside appearance of being a godly man or woman in Christ, but in your heart truly being born again and saved in the Lord. Because what happens is a lot of us have a real good exterior. We look good, we sound good, we say the right things, but our heart is not where it's supposed to be with the Lord. And that's the way it is here a lot. And what this is saying is maturity says there's truth in the inward parts. Real quick story, I was coming out of Hamler uh, this last week, I can't remember what day it was, and there was a hitchhiker along um, 18. Um, and I like to pick up hitchhikers. Not, and I, like I said, I joked before, not like in a horror film kind of way. I like to pick up hitchhikers. You know, I think it's a good opportunity uh, to show the love of the Lord and help somebody in need. Um, I don't pick up hitchhikers if my wife and kids are with me, just so you know. But if you're with me, I'll pick one up. So, pick up this guy, and this guy was fascinating. It was the most fascinating hitchhiker I ever picked up. His name was Alvin. He was from Australia. And uh, he was from Australia, and uh, we, so we talked about Crocodile Dundee. And... <laughs> And I, and I said this to the first service, and they didn't seem to get it. He was on his walkabout. You remember Crocodile Dundee? And I, I wanted to, and I'll see if this joke works for this service. I wanted to ask to see his knife. 
Thank you. Half laughter, okay, if you don't remember the movie, but half laughter. Anyway, he's from Australia. And so I'm asking him, and I said, I can take you to Dashler. So we're talking. He mentions God. As soon as he mentions God, that's my door. I'm running with it. You know, are you a Christian? Yeah, he's born again. He's saved. He's telling me about his church he goes to. And I, so he, I said, what do you think of America? And he says, I hate it. I hate America. He's here for a month. I said, why do you hate America? Because he goes, the world's perception of America is you are a God-fearing Christian nation. And when I came over here, you are not. And that, and that really hit me. He goes, I've been here for a week. He's got three weeks left. And he goes, this is not a God-fearing nation. And he, as a Christian, he goes, Australia, he goes, we are more Christian as a nation than what you are. And this hit me here of uh, verse 5, righteous man hates lying. That fake exterior. From the world's perspective, we are. And he, and he knew more about our past and our religious roots than most people. And he said he expected this to be this God-fearing nation. And it wasn't. And, and he said he hated it. He goes, and he goes, I apologize. He goes, I don't hate you. you know? He goes, but, but this is, he goes, I'm not coming back. There's no reason to come back. He's just going to get his three weeks more in of his walkabout, and he's uh, heading back. And I thought, boy, that really hits me. Because there is that perception. And if you live here in northwest Ohio, there's a perception that we're a God-fearing section. You know, there's churches all over the place. But it's not the exterior that matters, it's the interior that matters. Is there truth in the inward parts? That's what matters. So that's the third part here of maturity. Maturity is watching your tongue, verse 3. Maturity is good work ethic, verse 4. Maturity is truth, verse 5. Verse 10, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Maturity is seeking godly wisdom. And this is something we've talked about before, seeking godly wisdom. Because here's the thing. Maturity says, I don't have all the answers. <clears throat> Maturity says, I need help and I need godly wisdom. And I stress the word godly. I know a lot of people that seek wisdom. And they seek wisdom from their co-workers, friends, and families that are not walking with the Lord. You're not going to get godly wisdom from them. You need godly wisdom from somebody who says, I will pray over this for you. I will seek the Lord over this for you. I will share scriptures with you. And I will try to give you godly wisdom that points you in the right direction. Because the problem is, if you don't seek wisdom and you only seek your own opinion, well, you're not going to get where you need to be. That's a dangerous place is to only listen to yourself. And how many times do we hear this in the world? Listen to your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. My heart is wicked. I love Jesus, but there's still sin in my life. And so things get twisted to my own perspective. There's a great passage in the book of uh, 2 Kings where one of the kings says he spoke unto himself in his heart. And it goes on for a couple of verses of this conversation this guy had with himself. Well, if I talk to myself, I sound pretty smart. I have a great conversation with myself. I figure out all the answers. I've got it all figured out. I've, I've rehashed it. I've analyzed it. And I come out with a great decision. The problem is that's a decision based just on me. There's no outside intellect wisdom, and I'm not smart enough to make my own decisions. If you're taking notes, a great verse here, Job 15.8, Job 15.8. Have you heard the counsel of God, or do you limit wisdom to yourself? I love that verse. Have you heard the counsel of God, or do you limit wisdom to yourself? See, if you only stop and think from your perspective what, what you think, you're going to make decisions based on you, and God says that's a very dangerous place to be. You have to seek godly wisdom and counsel. So maturity. Maturity is listening to instruction, verse 1. Maturity is guarding your tongue, verse 3. It's a good work ethic, verse 4. It's seeking truth, verse 5. It's seeking counsel, verse 10. That's maturity. 
Because here's the thing. You live in a world, I live in a world, where we get worked up about stuff. It's a tough place. It's a sad place. You know, it, it's great to hear all the praises and when we do prayer, prayer requests on Wednesdays or etc. But there's also always a lot of rough prayer requests. We live in a cursed, fallen world. And that cursed, fallen world brings trouble. Look at verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. See, I, I don't care how <clears throat> mature you are in the Lord, per se, you're still going to run into problems. And it's a fallacy for us to think of, I walk with Jesus, so therefore I will never struggle with problems or, or worry, fear, anxiety, or anything like that. I, I'll never struggle with any of that type of stuff. And we talked about worry, fear, and anxiety last week. And we talked about how it can take the best of us and pull us down into this depression and pull us down into this, this situation. See, we've seen these phrases all the time that someone's so, they've worried themselves sick. And you know when that happens? You get so worked up about something spiritually and emotionally, it starts affecting you physically. And that's what it's saying right here. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And anytime that happens, I always try to tell somebody, you know what, you're just going to make yourself sick with this. You need to give this over to the Lord. You need to let Him carry this burden for you because this is going to affect you physically. Now, easier said than done. I'll be the first to say that. But when it finally clicks, look at verse 12. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Boy, isn't it just amazing when that burden is lifted off your shoulder and you're just like, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Back to the tree of life. No longer battling this sickness that brings me down. Boy, it's a struggle. And you know what? We're not going to have the full... Um, healing from that worry, fear, and anxiety until we're home in heaven because this world is full of that worry, fear, and anxiety. It is. You know, the more kids I have, the more I, I worry. The more the church grows, the more there's to be worried and anxious about. You know, if I live by myself in a cave, I wouldn't have too much to worry about. But the bigger your circle of life grows, the more worry, fear, and anxiety there is. And Lord, help us to get through that. So what do we do to help with this? Well, verse 17 a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings help. See, I'm an ambassador, and we, we forget this a lot. 2 Corinthians 5.20, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors of Christ. Now, what's an ambassador do? An ambassador represents a larger nation. So as an ambassador of Christ, I represent the kingdom of God. And you guys represent the kingdom of God, too, if you're saved. See, when Jesus ascended into heaven, his physical body went up to heaven, but he left us here on earth to say that you're the body of Christ. So we are all an ambassador for the Lord. We represent the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ and all that we say and do. Now that is a great honor, that is a great privilege, but it is a huge responsibility. Because there's some days and times in my life where I do not want to represent Christ. Because I know what Christ wants me to do. Christ wants me to be loving, wants me to be patient, to watch my tongue. We've talked about all this. As an ambassador of Christ, I need to do those things. There are certain times where I don't want to represent Jesus. I want to represent James. Because James is mad. He wants to be angry. He wants to be frustrated. He wants to be upset. And God says, forgive, forget, move on. Sometimes I don't want to be an ambassador of Christ. But the point is, I am an ambassador of the Lord. I represent Jesus Christ in all I say and all that I do. So when you go into work, be it today or tomorrow, when you're around unsafe friends and family members, you are representing the Lord in your actions and in your life. And as you represent that, you are an ambassador of the Lord, representing the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ himself. And what do you do? Verse 17, you bring health. That word literally means sound mind. See, that ties us back into verse 12. 
when you work with that coworker, friend, or family member that is hardened to sickness, you bring health to them. What's the health you bring? You bring Jesus Christ. That's the only health you can give somebody. You bring a spiritual health in the Lord. You bring an emotional health <coughs> excuse me, into the Lord. And as you bring that health unto the Lord, you take that sick heart and you say, you know what, let's give that over to the Lord. Let's pray together on this. Let's encourage each other through this. That's what an ambassador does. If anybody's ever traveled to a foreign country, you don't worry about where the embassy is unless you have a problem. You don't worry about the ambassador unless you have a problem. See, the same thing happens here. When I see somebody with a sick heart as an ambassador of Christ, that's a problem. I want to go help that person out. I want to go represent Christ to them and bring them health through Jesus. I can't bring them health, but the Lord can bring them health. And you know what? This is what I get out of being an ambassador of the Lord. I get riches. Look at verse 7. There's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. Look at verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. See, by me being a child of God... And by me being an ambassador, it's great pay. And I don't mean in the sense of material wealth. See, here's the problem. We live in a society where as soon as you say words like riches and blessings, first thing we think of is materialism. And I'm telling you right now, you're missing the point of what riches and blessings are. Sometimes the riches are the riches of salvation in Christ. Sometimes the riches are the riches of a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, Dawn and I are not... Uh, materially wealthy by any means, but we're, we're very rich. We're very blessed. And we feel very thankful for that. And so when I look at verse 7, riches doesn't carry necessarily money. It's the peace. It's the salvation. What a blessing that that is. And look at this definition of riches here in verse 7. There's one who makes himself rich that has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. See, isn't that the weird thing? We judge finances. We judge riches on material dollar amounts. And really what verse 7 is saying, that's not true. There's one that has nothing, but yet is very rich. And there's one that has everything, but yet is very poor. And I've seen it. I've seen families where there is not a lot of material possessions. But boy, that family is peaceful and loving. That's riches. And I've also seen houses that are huge, nice cars, nice families, whatever, but that, that family is very poor spiritually. See, it doesn't matter the material money, it's the spiritual riches. Because what dollar amount makes you rich? Elias got a dollar from somebody here recently, and that dollar made him so um, selfish, <laughs> I guess I should say. He would have his dollar in his wallet, and he would just pull it out and look at it. And he would ask Judah, Judah, do you have a dollar? I have a dollar. And, you know, he would just go on and on and on about it. One dollar made that kid selfish. That one dollar was, was a horrible thing. A dollar. But, you know, I know people that, once again, don't have much material possession, very selfish and materialistic over the little things they have. God says no. And I also know people that have a lot. They have a lot. But yet they're not materialistic on any way whatsoever. Let the Lord use it. See, riches is not the material wealth. Riches is the spiritual aspect of things. And I tell you this. If you really, really, really want to impact things, look at verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for righteousness. See, the best way for you to impact future generations past you is to leave an inheritance. And I'm not talking material-wise, spiritually. 
plant seeds in the generations that follow you. That's the way you leave in a spiritual, rich inheritance. That's what you do. But we get it all backwards, don't we? We always think of what our legacy is supposed to be. We want our legacy to be a godly man or woman that impacted generations past us. That's how you leave an inheritance for people. And that's what Proverbs, that's wisdom. That's what God is trying to tell us to do. So where do we get all this wisdom from? Well, look at verse 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. So we've talked about there's wisdom and having a teachable spirit. There's wisdom in watching the tongue, wisdom in work ethic, wisdom in truth, wisdom in counsel, wisdom in being an ambassador of Christ, wisdom in watching our possessions and riches. And where do we get all this wisdom from? It's from verse 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed. See, if we don't take God's word here, and we don't look at it and say, Lord, this is how you choose to speak to us, what's the result of that? Because he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And when it says rewarded, I'm not worrying about, once again, the material rewards, it's the spiritual rewards. You know, when I go to heaven, I want to be rewarded, not for my own glory, but for God to say, Lord, look what I did for you. And how do I know what I'm supposed to do? That's found in the Word. See, the more I teach the Bible, the more I realize you just got to teach the Bible. I don't understand why other churches don't get this, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel is you just simply teach God's Word. Just get out there and present the Bible. God takes care of the rest. And so as you teach the Word, there's a reward that comes out of that as you go deeper in the Lord. Well, what's the reward? So verse 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life. To turn away one from the snares of death. See, there's life in the Word. First off, there's eternal life. It's through salvation. How are you supposed to know that there's a heaven and there's a hell, and unless you accept Christ as your Savior, you're going to hell? The Bible teaches us that. See, and the whole point here of the Bible is to teach us this understanding of salvation. You know, when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John 3, and he said all these flowing statements about Christ, he was really talking Jesus up, Jesus just simply said to him in John 3, 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus just got right to the point. The whole point is salvation. The whole point is life. What am I doing if I'm not telling other people about Christ and salvation through Jesus Christ? That's the purpose of this, is to turn one away from the snares of death. I'm out there through God's word telling them about life. Look at verse 15. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. See, if you live your life according to the Bible... God will take care of you. If you choose to go off the path of the Bible, look at verse 15. The way of the unfaithful is hard. You and I all know somebody who they start living a life that's not in tune with God's word and what happens to their life. It becomes hard. It becomes difficult. Maybe not necessarily the physical, but the spiritual, the emotional, whatever. It becomes difficult. People come into the office and they're struggling with this and that. And you ask them how their relationship with the Lord is. It's not good. Well, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Life is hard enough as it is being saved. I can't imagine not being saved and trying to live in this world. The way of the unfaithful is hard. And you talk to any believer that got themselves off the path of the Lord... I'll tell you, man, it's not worth it. Get back on the path of where it's supposed to be. Look at the next one here. Verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a, lip, excuse me, but a fool lays open his folly. See, here's the thing. As, as life gets hard, the fool is open for everyone to see. See, when someone doesn't live their life according to the way the Lord wants, it's, it's a fool laid open. And people step back from a distance saying, yeah, I see. 
You know, where do those decisions in life get you? What good came out of that choice, that decision? Your life is laid open to see the foolishness of those choices. And, and I know a lot of people have made some pretty foolish choices and they still suffer the consequences to this day because the fool is laid open for its folly. But before we sit here and uh, attack the non-believers too much, our life is also laid open too. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 3.2. 2 Corinthians 3.2, Paul says your life is an open book known and read by all. See, it goes back to being that ambassador. People are looking at you to see how you're going to respond and how you're going to do things. The fool is laid open for its folly. The folly is there. It's open for everyone to see. But yet also as a believer, your life is an open book known and read by all. When you make a stand for Jesus Christ, be it at work, be it at home, at school, wherever, you are automatically going to be looked at differently by people. And your life is an open book known and read by all. And people are watching you all the time. See, a lot of times I hear people say, what difference does it make? No one cares. No one understands. I'm telling you right now, there's always somebody watching you. Always somebody watching you. And you're either going to be laid open as a fool, verse 16, or you're the open book read by all that points people towards Jesus Christ. Because as an ambassador, you represent the Lord. You represent the kingdom of God. You represent that speaking spiritual health to people to take them deeper in the Lord. But yet, as a fool, your way becomes hard, your way becomes unfaithful, and people learn from your mistakes. I'd rather have people learn from my actions that hopefully further the kingdom than from my mistakes that hurt the kingdom. Either way, it's going to be known and read by all. We live in a world where people see and they know. And we've got to be careful about that. So with that being said, what kind of builds here is verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. See, if you want wisdom, stay with wise people. If you want foolishness, go with the fools. How simple is that? See, when I see somebody getting themselves off the path of wisdom and away from people with wisdom, boy, that's going to hurt their life may not hurt their life right away. They may not notice it right away. But eventually their spiritual life is going to become weaker and weaker, darker and darker, harder and harder. Because why? They're getting themselves away from the wisdom of the Lord and they're hanging out with the companions of fools. And that's going to destroy them. And boy, I see it a lot out here. Can you see somebody who, with they're in the good crowd, they make good godly choices. But as soon as they get themselves away from those good godly people, they just ride back into the world. And it's so frustrating because you see people and you're like, well, why, why, why are you hanging out with them? Oh, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to get together and have some fun. It's like, yeah. But when you get with the fool, you act like a fool. When you stay with the wise, you act like the wise. And so sometimes you see these people going out on their own, making life choices, whatever, and it's like, boy, keep good, godly fellowship around you. It is so vital to have those good, godly fellowship and connections around you because... If you walk with the wise, you're wise. If you walk with the fools, you will be destroyed. I'm not saying as Christians you never hang out with non-believers. I'm not saying as a Christian that you just stay away from those people. I'm not saying that. But you've got to be careful of who you spend your time with and how you act. Because who you spend your time with is going to impact you, and it's also going to impact them. And you want to make sure you're staying with the wise and not staying with the fools will bring you down. Marv, you can come forward here for the final song. So in Proverbs 13... It starts with the teachable spirit. You've got to be willing to learn. To reject that teachable spirit, 12.1 says you're stupid. 
13.1 says you're a scoffer, that you need rebuked. 